When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Buck Off Podcast with Lane Grant. Hosted by Christopher Rennie and joined by Jordan Williams. Welcome in everybody, this is your host Christopher Rennie bringing you another episode of the Buck Off Podcast with Land Grant Holy Land. As always, I'm joined by Jordan Williams, and we're here to give you all the Buckeye content you need this offseason. How are you doing today, Jordan? Uh, I'm, I'm good, honestly. Uh, America's <laughs> boy, Sean White, is going to win gold tonight, so can't be mad at that. Uh, and in less true news, Jonathan Taylor is going to win MVP because they're not just going to give it to a random quarterback at all. They would never just give MVP to a quarterback. So Jonathan Taylor is going to win MVP because he deserves it. So I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm spectacular. Yeah, you know, hindsight, I totally forgot that they haven't given out the NFL awards yet because they're regular <laughs> season awards. But I keep seeing all these people being like, "Hey, Joe Burrow should get this award because he's got the Bengals to the Super Bowl." I'm like, "Hey, that's not how it works." Um, <laughs> but yeah, and it, and and you know it's how it works, Loki, because they wait unless they collect the votes way earlier and they just wait for the show. You know how it goes; like someone's getting swayed. Yeah, I think it's just such an interesting conversation, and I, I would we could dive into it, and it would take us probably like an hour to get through all of the outside factors of the MVP race. So, you know what? I'm, I'm with you. Let's just go with the safe, extremely productive, non-lightning uh, rod Jonathan Taylor. He just played football. He played an extremely high level. He almost got the <laughs> Colts played, to the playoffs. He played Big Ten football, which the NFL wasn't ready for. Yeah, and I SEC guys. You know what's crazy to me is I did not realize Jonathan Taylor had that level of juice and explosiveness. Like I knew he was like a real. I knew he was fast. I didn't know he was that fast. Did you Did you never watch him when he didn't play Ohio State? Yeah, I watched like, him a lot. No, he broke. No, I was gonna say and no, like no running back has a good game against Ohio State. Like, to be honest, speeds, in most cases, college but, speed just looks different because like there's a lot of running backs that are fast in college. Yeah. And then they get to the NFL and you're like, oh, okay. So, like, like, Joe Mixon was extremely fast in college. But, like, once he got to the NFL, like, he didn't. Zeke was fast in college. Once he got to the NFL, you could see. Hey, he was he, he? He gets caught a little bit. Uh, Zeke gets caught a lot. that fast though. Yeah. Zeke was fast, but he wasn't like. But yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, if unless you watch him every game, like, like I didn't. I just never knew Jonathan Taylor was like. Like he looks like a four three guy out there, and that's that's crazy to me. Yeah, I knew he was nice, but I will say he definitely uh, put in some work in the off season. He also, also think I don't know if it's the white and the light blue, like not the light blue, but that lighter royal blue the Colts wear that makes him look so jacked. But he just looks way more 
Nah, he's huge. He's, he's, he's huge. He's like he's swole. Like, <laughs> that's the word we used to use in high school. He's swole, and that's incredible. Yeah, I I agree with that. I don't know if he got bigger or if it's the uniforms. He did not look that big in Wisconsin. I also think some of it is just like college media. You don't really get like close ups of guys sometimes. Like the NFL is full of like. I'm going to take this picture two feet away from you. And like, he's just walking around. And I'm like, Jesus, like, this is a running back. <laughs> yeah, for and any non-long-time listeners, Jordan's a Colts fan. So this is this is, yeah. a, this is, this is on brand for us. We're going to get a little bit of that in here. But, yeah, I, I think let's just go with the safe choice. Let's give it to JT. I think a running back needs it. You got to change the award up a little bit. There's plenty of quarterbacks who threw for 4,000 yards this year. Let's just let's change it up. I, I really do think when you value what a player means to a team, I don't think the Colts are any good without Jonathan Taylor this year. Yeah, not at all. And the the thing is, in my opinion at least, no quarterback was spectacular this year, right? There's just sometimes quarterbacks just do some things that no one else can do with numbers-wise, and so you have to give it to them. But no quarterback was spectacular this year, so – I think that fits in for Jonathan Taylor. Uh, some people are going to say Cooper Cup, and honestly, not that mad at that. But I, and especially because they're in the Super Bowl, so like his impact. But I think the thing with the Rams is they have a lot more superstars, and they have Matthew freaking Stafford and all yeah. this other kind of stuff. And then Robert Woods, and then as soon as he gets injured, they get Odell. So Cooper Cup had a, had a stupid individual season, but. Most I can't. Valuable. I, it's I mean, also hard yeah, to give I it can't. to a receiver. Yeah, I mean it's hard to give it to a running back, but it's even harder to give it to a receiver. Um, yeah, but we all know they're going to give it to some random stupid quarterback. They're going to give it to Aaron Rodgers, who wasn't vaccinated, and he's going to go up and give a speech saying that he was canceled or something stupid. And then I'm going to turn it off. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> it's going to make me mad. So if my mood changes in the middle of the of the podcast, it's because they gave out the MVP award and went to Aaron Rodgers or went to Tom Brady because he's retiring. Yeah, I can see that too. Just like a nice little gift on the way out. Here's like your ninth MVP, Tom Brady. Here you go. <laughs> it's like, uh, enjoy but, retirement. But yeah, that's why we're a college football fans. That's why. That's why we spend all this time talking about Ohio State and stuff. And yeah, I, I think we've got a lot to talk about today. We've got Ohio State. The S and P. The S and P Plus rankings came out from. ESPN, they do them every year. It's pretty good stuff. Michigan finalized their coaching staff. Um, seemed uh, very uh, safe. We've got a lot to say about I'm that. Sorry, I just I have to butt in here. We're going to talk about the S&P ranking. I can't stand to let you give credit to any of ESPN's ranking. Like, pretty good. is, is It's a little too far. Like, we can't, we can't give credit to ESPN. They mess up a lot of stuff. I will say, they have... Uh, predicted the last two national championships with that. Well, we'll get into more with that in a few minutes. Luke Montgomery is <laughs> committing next week. Uh, so that's going to be big. We've got a big talk on Fry here. So we uh, our, our favorite coach, Justin Fry, getting it done. Uh, the Super Bowl, Joe Burr, a bunch of other Buckeyes playing in it. We're going to talk about them. And we're going to give our predictions. We're going to talk some NFL on this show. So we opened with some NFL. We're going to get into some NFL. Ohio State fans designed the turf field, kind of. We're going to talk about that. And then we're going to get into the spring game because I think that that kind of that kind of lit some people on fire. A few people, you know, they kind of drive some content towards our direction. You know what I'm talking <laughs> about here, Jordan. But I, I, I do. Uh, let's get started here with the SP Plus rankings. Um, 
ESPN has a bunch of guys who put together some numbers each year, and most of them are pretty irrelevant. But the SP Plus ranking has been pretty good at gauging what teams are going to be good and which teams are going to be really good. Like I said, the number one team in 2020 was Alabama. Alabama ran the table, uh, won the national championship with Mac Jones at quarterback. Uh, Georgia last year, 2021, won the national championship. They were number one preseason in the SP Plus. But to give a little background on what this is, it's just a combination of returning production, combination of incoming recruiting classes, a combination of incoming transfers, and a combination of who you're playing and kind of just all the stats that your team put out the year before on offense and defense combined into an algorithm that spits out a number, and that's your S&P Plus number. And then you just rank based off that. And guess who came in at number one this year? I don't think you guys had to go too far knowing what this show's about. The Ohio State yeah. Buckeyes. It's, it's, Ohio State is the number one S&P Plus team entering spring practices, which is a huge point of emphasis. And I am just ready to commit to it now. Ohio State's making the playoffs next year. Zero questions asked. Jordan, do you have any conflicting opinions on that? Uh, no. What I will say, though, is if Ohio State doesn't make the playoffs, Ryan Day may be looking for a new job. So, yeah, Ohio State's making the playoffs next year. Like, that was a given. They, like, nothing could have happened. Like, C.J. Stroud could have went to the transfer portal, and I still would have said Ohio State's making the playoffs because Ryan Day likes his job, and he likes Columbus, and he was going to figure it out, even if that meant running uh, Travion Henderson 35 times. He was going to find a way to get to the playoffs. So, yeah, Ohio State's getting there. Yeah, and I think the reason this was like so interesting to me was because like Ohio State is one of the teams that has the most roster turnover, and it felt like for, I don't know, it felt like six or seven years – Ever since Ohio State won the national championship, honestly, it felt like Ohio State's roster turnover was happening sooner than in Alabama's or Georgia's roster turnover, or even a Clemson's roster turnover. But where Ohio State had young guys coming in, they'd play one year and then leave. Where Bama would still have that, but they'd have it more split. They'd have like half of those guys leave versus stay. And I think Finally getting a year where those things align. You know, you talked about the coaching staff in the offseason, all those moving parts that are we're still going to have to see proven and see what happens when they put these players back on the field. But you kind of take all that into consideration. This is for sure the most returning production Ohio State's had since the 2015 team after Ohio State won the national championship. Yeah, and I honestly, I think that um, – I think the turnover is a, was pretty much the same. I think the biggest issue is Ohio State was missing on recruits. Like, you know what I mean? Like, and you can see that in the instance of like Will Anderson is a third year player, right? Which is stupid. Yeah, they should just let him go to the league this year. But like, who are our third year juniors? That like really are going to make an impact. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Like Jackson Smith and Jigba, but like that's the problem. Stroud. 
outside of those two, and I'm sure there's a couple like couple offensive linemen like Luke Whipler, maybe a third year guy, but yeah, we is. don't have those. And, and we've we've gone over recruiting forever, so I'm not going to let this rant stay for a while. But we've got hit recruiting and the lack thereof in every every single way, um, you know, because that's like a, a hill I've been ready to die on. But Ohio State missed on some top guys in some of these classes, and so I think the turnover was the same. They were just replacing them, and we weren't. Like yeah. we don't have our Will Anderson on defense. We don't have name a third year guy on defense that you're excited for. Yeah, like it's Tom, Tommy E. Tommy E's a third year guy, right? Yep, Tommy E. You know, um, Tate Silver's a fourth year guy. Uh, we should have defensive lineman. Uh, no, I can't even really. think of a third year defensive lineman. I don't even know who was in that class. I'm trying to think interior um, defensive lineman. I think we have a couple guys, but like no. Is that like John Cage? No, it's not. No, we've got a lot of fourth year guys on the defense defensive line too so this is like uh, this is going to be a relatively older team uh, you know you got Zach Harrison returning who is in his fourth year so you've got a lot of production that you know would tend to leave on these past Ohio State teams who haven't either lived up to the hype or gotten the full opportunity due to health or some of those issues so that's interesting I think yeah uh, the other third year guys are guys like Bryson Shaw guys who Ronnie Hickman I think is going to be a fourth year guy next year they're guys who yeah. have played but might not have been the guys that you want to bank on to win a national championship for whatever circumstances around them. But that's the thing. The defense is either fourth or fifth year guys or it's going to be elite first and second year guys. So there's really no one in that third year mark, which is interesting. Which the third year class, that's 20. Is that is that 2020 or 2019 at this point? 2019 at this point. I, I, I think right mathematically, right? I'm not a math podcast. Oh, no, it, it's 22. It's 2020. So wait, if you're 2020, because we're on the 2022 class, right? Yeah. Which means the first year you play is in 2022. So yeah, it's the 2020 class because 2022 would 2020. I we are doing math yeah, on the twenty twenty yeah. year right. one. Okay, okay. I'm just gonna go through this really quickly and, and yeah, see if we're Zach missing Harrison someone. was twenty nineteen. Yeah. So let's see. Julian Fleming, I think he's gonna. I think he's gonna be good, but we haven't seen it yet. He's been injured. Paris Johnson Jr. That's the number one. Like we said, there's probably gonna yeah. be some people. Jackson Smith and Jigba, CJ Stroud. So they hit on three of the top four, and I'm not ready to give up on Julian Fleming, but they hit on three of the top four. Yeah, the that's all offense so four, far. Harris Johnson, Jackson Smith and Jigba, CJ Stroud. G Scott hasn't hit. Cody Simon is the highest rated defensive player. He hasn't played hit. a lot. Didn't hit though. No, Mookie Cooper hasn't hit and has transferred. He, played a lot? he transferred. He's, he's at Missouri. He's, yeah, but like, has Cody Simon played a lot? Cody Simon played a lot last year, I'd say. He's in a, yeah, okay. Uh, Luke Whippler, he, I'd say he's a hit. Yeah, I'd say he's Darian a hit at this Henry, point. Darian Henry Young is the second highest defensive player. He transferred. He just went to Cincy. Yep. Jacoby Cohen, is he even on the roster? He played a little bit in uh, some of the earlier games that were against bad teams. But didn't hit Court Williams. They don't know what position to play him at. So, and I feel like I'm going to say he hit though. He's really good every time he's on the field. I'm not going to say he hit like not to the level we're talking about. I'm not yeah, saying he's he a hasn't scrub, been a major but contributor, like, but I, I'd say he's a he's a very valuable piece. I think going into next year. Yeah, at this point, he's the best defensive player so far in the class. Yeah, I'd argue that. I'd say he's a better defensive player than Cody Simon right now. 
Yeah, there's Lathan Ransom, who played has, a lot. Again, wouldn't It's a lot of guys who have who have played, but haven't like they haven't hit. They haven't like they, like at this point, you know, we're looking at people like, oh, this guy's a first rounder. None of these guys are first rounders. And I will Ryan say, Watts, as we're going through this transfer to Texas, but as we're going through this, a lot of these guys were playing as sophomores, which is a good sign. And I'm hoping this coaching staff can elevate these guys to the next level. Yeah, and that's and that's the point I'm making. I want to I want to clarify again. I'm not saying they suck, but this this is what I'm saying. All these guys are in the same class and the same age as Will Anderson. Think about Will Anderson. Think about them. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, Cameron Martinez hasn't hit, but solid, solid, solid hasn't hit. I think they should have played him more than they did. I don't know why. Uh, Jack Miller transferred. Mitchell Melton is he on the team? Or he transferred. Special teams guy. Spe- okay, Legend Cavazos played sporadically. Just, hasn't hit. Is kind of behind a lot of bodies though. Joe Royer. He's he's. You're hearing rumors that maybe he he's the starting tight end. Maybe he gets a little bit of more more shine. Tight end's uh, a tough McCoy. one to project, as yeah. we talked about last week. And then we're at, now we're down here at Grant Tutant. Project offensive lineman. Josh Fryer. Uh, long-term project offensive lineman. Mayan Williams. Hit. Solid. I'd say he hit. He's a hit. He's a hit. Ty Hamilton. Especially for a three-star. He's the backup running back. Like, yeah. he's he hit. Um, Ty Hamilton. Has still on the had enough, Yeah. Has, he's a... Uh, He's a legacy guy. He's uh, Devontae yeah. Hamilton's brother, so he's yeah, still on the he, roster. He, he was a local kid and a and a legacy guy because he was he was very low in the rankings. Then we got J- Jacob James, guard, Trey Laroe, uh, tackle, and Jake Siebert, kicker. kicker. So we and the kicker's not the kicker didn't even hit. We had to get a transfer. Yeah, <laughs> so it's, like, it's interesting. <laughs> I, I didn't know. I forgot Noah Ruggles was an Ohio State guy and then transferred, then came back until everyone started talking about it. So that's kind of funny. So maybe Cybert C- will do the same thing. I don't no, think Noah Ruggles was at Ohio State. He yeah. always wanted to go to Ohio State. He didn't. He never got an Ohio State offer. He wouldn't have left. He always wanted to go to Ohio State. Didn't get the offer. Went to North Carolina. Did good, and then came in as a transfer. Yeah, I yeah, know. I thought he came to Ohio State. Mm-mm. Oh, he went to North Carolina. That's right. Yeah, and then yep. transferred. Came in as a grad transfer. Yeah, that's right. That makes sense. Well, either way, no Ruggles transfer. <laughs> that's what you do. That's a you don't. You just need. Yeah. That's the thing, and. When we look at uh, all those guys, I think a lot of them have an opportunity to become really good players. So that's why this is there. And you want to know? You want to know another stat? And I'm pulling the stats here because this is incredible. So returning production for 2022. This is a breakdown of percentage of all the stats put together on a team, and they just break it down into who came back, how much of that number came back, and how much didn't. And Ohio State's 24th, and that is ahead of every single major Power 5 competitive team that could possibly win a national championship. With 70% coming back on offense and 82% coming back on defense. And the losses on offense are very obvious statistically. It is Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave. So outside of them, who had a great high percentage of production, there really is not a lot of players leaving. 
outside of, you know. Yeah. And I think the two tackles are going to be replaced, and I think Ohio State's going to be fine on the interior of the offensive line. So with all that being said, the defense is returning even more of their production at 82%. So we went through all those defensive guys, and yes, some of them haven't hit. But we have so much production returning on defense with Jim Knowles coming and the and a bunch of transfers. Like This is why Ohio State is going to be – a team that is very a very popular pick next year going into the season. Yeah, I just want to say because I think you're being a, a little too nice for this part in the offseason. This is not the, this is not the time to be nice. None of these guys on defensive hit. This is overall a miss on defense. But I like I'd be surprised. I mean, one of these guys may have an outstanding year and, and sneak up, but like all these guys are like third and fourth round picks if they get drafted, which uh, is. Again, that's the Ohio State standard. Like, they're not scrubs. They're just not Will yeah. Anderson. And, then, and I can say that because we've had Will Anderson. We had Chase Young. We had Nick Bosa. We had Joey Bosa. We had Jordan Fuller. We had Jeff Okuda, uh, all Denzel Ward, all of these people who were the Jordan Fuller, that crazy – Sophomore going into their junior year, who was going to be a high pick. Everyone knew he was a first rounder, a stud, and none of these guys are that well, currently. Jeff Akuda wasn't that before he was a junior. He played it, like yeah, but like Jeff Okuda was very. Jeff he Okuda, was also like the number thirteenth ranked recruit in the country when he came to Ohio State. Jeff Okuda and Ohio was State like, doesn't have that he didn't corner have, on their roster. Yeah, he didn't have Will Anderson's like stats but he was very he was projected as a first rounder going in and maybe some of it was just off of like the fact that he was he looked like god built a corner yeah but like you still knew he was gonna be like very good yeah and, and the he people, was gonna go in the first round was behind were also first round picks so like that's kind of yeah. where it was at and it's like are you gonna start jeff okuda when you have denzel ward no who <laughs> was no. also a first round pick but yeah now you finally have that again with denzel burke and you have a ton of top 150 corners who came in after that shout out to Kerry combs his last his parting gift uh but it, it's just there's an incredible roster there now and then like we said we talked about this a bunch we pretty much beating this down. The defensive recruiting in the 2022 class adds an influx of uh, talent that hasn't been there since 20, I want to say 2018. So, and that's that even is, kind of being generous to the 2018 class. Yeah. I'm going to, I will say this. There was a lot of like shade and anger and hatred and you name it on Ryan day. I knew Ohio State would be fine when I saw the defensive class because to me that told me that Ryan Day did something he's never done, which means he's learning. Yeah. He he put he put an emphasis on defense, even though he's an offensive coach. And that is not easy. You listen to his press conferences and he literally says, I want a head coach of the defense. I don't want to think about defense. If I'm thinking about defense, it's an issue. He does not want to think about defense. And so for him to put an emphasis on defense, where I don't remember the number, but like five of the top eight, like players in the class, the best players in the class are defense. Like that is Ryan Day seeing an issue and and recognizing it. Let's see. It's one, two, three, four. Four of the top five are defense. And then and then this actually changed because Caleb Brown and Keon Grave got upgraded because they weren't always over Gabe Power. So like that's a heavy emphasis of, on defense. Absolutely. And at least I think six of the top ten 
our defense, that's not how Ryan Day typically operates. That's not how he operated in the class that we just talked about, 2020. So that's when I knew Ohio State was going to be good. The defense is a crown jewel of this class. And uh, I think going back positively, as I've been negative for a while, these the two the last two recruiting classes – 2021 and 2022 plus the new defensive staff I think we're going to be very solid like when like when next year when Denzel Burke is that rising junior when Tyleek Williams is that rising junior like then we're going to be like yeah we got some people who are going to be first round picks we got some people who are studs going into their last year people are going to be looking at us and being like damn that dude's not draft eligible and like what goes into the metric is like Tyreek Williams' production's there, and that's returning. Like I, I didn't even mention yeah. him when I was talking about defensive players. He was a freshman who wasn't even supposed to be playing, and his production was crazy. So that's going to be. I, I think honestly, I'm convincing myself the interior defensive line doesn't have like a lot of big names, but I think it's going to be similar to that Devonte Hamilton, Robert Landers kind of level. Where yeah, it's just like a really good unit that you trust. Honestly, it may. I, I just hear me out. I'm not ready to see it. I need to see spring ball, which we're gonna talk about a little bit. But hear me out. Tyreek Williams didn't play a senior year. Came in overweight. Probably had some conditioning issues, some things like that, which is why he didn't play a lot. Tyreek Williams, after being productive, a full off season, mat drill, summer workout, spring camp, plus Mike Hall. Plus, uh, uh, what's the older guy that came back? Not obviously not Haskell Garrett. Who's the older guy that came back? You got Vincent, Is it Teron Vincent. Teron Vincent came back. You got a couple other yeah, guys. Plus Teron Vincent. Just those three alone, we could have a a, a, a dominant interior. Yeah, like, I, I'm actually I'm actually decently high on the interior because I think a lot of people forget how good my call was. Uh, that dude's supposed to be a stud. You're gonna give Tyleek a full off season. He's not gonna be overweight when the yeah, season you're starts. Tyleek and my call two of like the best interior defensive line recruits another uh, full off season in Ohio State's program. I think they're going to be good to go. And, and Teron Vincent, who I, I really think that he has a chance to. He came on. Know, I don't know. Incredibly strong at the end of last season. Yeah. And I, like, I, like, are you going to tell me he can't do what Jonathan Cooper did? Who I mean, not that he's going to be number zero, but you know, but that he can come in, have a great productive year, be an emotional leader, and and raise his draft profile from a fifth or sixth round pick to a second or third. And now look at Jonathan. Jonathan Cooper's a stud in the league. In the NFL, he's not absolutely. a superstar. He's not Nick Bosa. He's not Joey Bosa. But he's but a he's stud. Gonna he's going to have an eight nine year career. So. I was going to say 10 or 12. Yeah, I mean, that's a I mean, either way, it's a long career in the NFL. It doesn't matter. A, lot of a, long, money. a long career. He's going to get two or three contracts, and the Denver Broncos are going to love him forever. And <laughs> Yeah, he's going to get that good NFL stipend by the time he's done. And that's – I think there's a lot of players who can do that. And that's like – I think that's the national championship team that Ohio State can build. You know, I think we talk yeah. about it. You know, Ryan Day isn't that cutthroat, Nick Saban type, but he's put together a roster with an incredible amount of talent. And if you could get the coaching right on the defensive side of the ball, if you get the offensive line right, this team can be extremely dominant. Yeah. And that's the thing. I'm like looking at it, it, the SP Plus, it's Ohio State, Georgia, Alabama, Michigan in the top four. Uh, but when you look at returning production, and this is the other metric I like because this literally shows how much of what you were good at last year is coming back. The next closest team on that list is Clemson at 41, and we all know how good Clemson was. 
So that's that's insane. You want to know? Let's let's type it in. Alabama's at sixty-five. Ohio State returns forty-one ranks more of production. So Alabama returns sixty-five percent. Ohio State returns seventy-six percent. That's eleven percent more. I don't know what that means in a player percentage, but that's insane. And you have to remember with that, they're bringing back Will Anderson, and he had the most production on our team. Mm -hmm. So that means, like, they're not bringing as much as it sounds because Will Anderson, like, is a lot. He he skews that number. Yeah, and Um, they're once again relying on the transfer portal. Will – Will the guy from Georgia be as valuable as Jameson Williams? Obviously, the jury's out on that. Like, because it's so. I, and this is what we're going to talk about, kind of with Michigan and continuity, and kind of relying on these outside factors to hit over and over again. Like, it, yeah. once you start relying on that, you it's it's gambling in a sense. And if you hit it four out of five times, that's incredible. But once you miss that once, it is in- extremely impactful. Like Henry Two O Two O last year was supposed to be an impact immediate transfer, and he kind of sucked for Alabama. And a lot of Alabama yeah. fans will tell you that. So they hit on Jamison Williams. They didn't hit on Henry Two O Two O. So that's a fifty percent hit rate on their two high volume transfers. So, like when you look and break down everything. The continuity going year over year with the roster with Ohio State, plus the amount of production that was, plus the new coaching staff, which I think is going to benefit everybody. Uh, It's just the math is adding up, and I'm starting to get really excited, and it's February 10th. Recording. Yeah, same, same. And so we need to move on. I kind of spiraled this by talking trash about some of the the rising juniors, and that's that's my fault. But I do think it's a fun and interesting conversation to have, and we need to kind of be real about this roster and why some of the people we're most excited for are either incoming freshmen or true sophomores. But I just have a question, and I just want a yes or no answer because this is going to be a topic we get into a lot more as it gets closer to the season. Yeah, absolutely. Can Jackson Smith and Jigba receive? I don't think that's the right word, but can he reach two thousand yards? Oh, without a doubt, I think. Because I had people tell me he wasn't going to break the record because he needed like fifty, he needed like fourteen hundred or something like that, and I'm like, that's less than what he had this year. I genuinely think CJ Stroud is going to be like you Jason's down there somewhere. I, I just want to say this. I told you. I want to say it was like after Nebraska. I think we were on this show and I, or the instant recap. I'm like Jackson Smith and Jigba might be the best receiver Ohio State has with Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave. And you know what that means. Was. You know what that translates to <laughs> no. the best receiver in Ohio State history. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. I, I genuinely like. I just leave it there because we're going to talk about it further. I, but I, I believe that every quarterback that has a great wide receiver, what does Matthew Stafford do right now? Cooper comes down there somewhere. Absolutely. What did Matthew Stafford do with um, Megatron? Megatron down there somewhere. And Aside from him just being open because he's going to be. Anytime Stroud gets in trouble, he's looking for JSN, and I, I'm. I won't go yeah. too far because well, we're, we're going to go into our predictions and stuff in in the future. But I just wanted to know if I thought I was crazy. When your best downfield threat is also your 10 to 12 volume catch guy because he's also the safety option, like that's a dangerous combination. And a lot of people – I've seen a lot of people are like, oh, what's Jackson Smith and Jigby going to do when they double team him and bracket him? Like, oh, yeah, so you're just going to leave Marvin Harrison Jr. single cover. You're going to leave Amika Ibuka who's like proven in like his two games he played a lot of receiver. 
uh, like single cover. Right. You're going to leave Julian Fleming, who might be the most athletic looking wide receiver I've ever seen at Ohio State. He like he's probably oh, the closest I, thing physically to David Boston that they've had since David Boston. I was just like I'm just a, a physically imposing guy. Convince me in 30 seconds that Julian Fleming couldn't be the next Debo Samuel. Yeah, I can't. I, 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 it's, I, it's like, I, it's like that's a high bar. I understand, but like but he has like, look the at talent. build, man, and look he at has, like, like come on, he has the two most impressive not catches of the last like three years. And they were both catches. They're and they were liars. both catches. That's the worst part. So yeah, no, I'm with you. I think he breaks that record. I think he has. I think 1600 yards is where my safe prediction is, but I could very reasonably see him playing with 2000 if he's has a year where. Stroud does what he's supposed to do. Yeah. So, all right. You you want to get into Michigan? Let's That's do it. I, I think I, I love talking about Ohio State. So I I, I mean, what's the what's the old saying? Uh, you got to know your enemy, like you know yourself. The old adage. Uh, me and Jordan, we ran into some stuff when we talk about them. So I did a little bit more research this time to make sure we got everything right. But Michigan has finalized their staff. I've got it pulled up here. I'm just going to read through the names real quick because I'm extremely extremely intrigued by this. Uh, so uh, Jim Harbaugh, obviously the head coach, we know all the drama with that. We talked about it last week. They brought in Jesse Minter as a defensive coordinator. They brought in, they promoted Matt Wise to co-offensive coordinator. They brought in Mike Elston. That's I, I actually respect that one. That's a pretty good one. Uh, Mike Hart, same role, uh, running backs, running game coordinator, tight end coach. Uh, we don't really need to get into that. I think Grant Newsom was there. Uh, Steve Kleekscale, uh, co-defensive coordinator, defensive backs. Um, so he got a raise with that title. Uh, Sanford Robinson, co-offense coordinator. Sharon Moore, uh, also promoted within. He was the offensive line coach, now co-offense coordinator. Ron Bell. Oh, no, he was already co he was already go. All right. Well, regardless, yep. thank you for the check. We 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 got that there. We fact checked here, Michigan fan. So uh, remember that. Ron yeah, Ron Ron Bellamy, um, receivers coach, and then Jay Harbaugh, uh, nepotism hire, special teams coordinator, safeties, uh, and then linebackers Who is coach Jay Harbaugh. I is that another did. brother? Their son? None of their sons can be that. Well, no, because no, he's their like sons are that old. Uh, he's 58. His son could be that old. He's just not. Yeah, let's is see. Who cousin? Jay, uh, Jay Harbaugh is, let's see, relations. Sibling, yep, related to James mm. Harbaugh. I don't know who. Uh, no, not Who's grandson. James? Jack Harbaugh. And he's the adopted son of head coach Jim Harbaugh. Wait, what? Uh, yeah, that got complicated real quick. Uh, yeah, that doesn't make any sense. So, so is he's Jim Harbaugh's son? He's a grandson of former player and coach Jack Harbaugh. So I don't know anything about Jack Harbaugh. But Jim Harbaugh adopted Jay Harbaugh. So interesting, interesting. I, I so, so maybe it's like a cousin kind of thing that, that was way younger and he adopted him. Cause, uh, okay, that got really convoluted. So maybe we don't have to figure it out. I was just trying to figure out who he was. I, we, no. <laughs> I was writing nepotism higher. Uh, we don't need to look at the backstory. If you guys want to read about Jim Harbaugh's familial relationships, you guys can go do that. Um, yeah. So I, I, I have a real have question for, for you, though. I have a real question for you because I disagree. So I want to know why. Because I, I, I think sometimes you pay attention to coaching a little bit more than me. 
why is Mike Elson a good hire? And let me ask you why I'm asking. Name one good defensive lineman from Notre Dame while he was there. I can't. So, like, why is he, like, is, is he a good recruiter? Is he well-respected? Like, I've never he, once watched Notre Dame's defensive line. It was like, yep, they're getting after it. He's one of those guys who consistently just builds good units. I'd say, like in coaching. I know I read uh, what Bruce Feldman had to say about him somewhere. Uh, he's just consistently been a good coach. He puts together good units. Uh, yeah, it's one of those names like you just kind of see everywhere. He's a solid recruiter, but you're right. Uh, he had a big part in uh, getting the kid for mentor, uh, Vernon Maxwell or whatever. Yeah, but doesn't that kid go to a Catholic school? Yeah, so wasn't he one of those like rare, rare kids? It's like even though I'm in Ohio, I'm Catholic, so I'm just going to a Catholic school. Yeah, and I'm not sure. I don't know much about Mentor because I'm not from the area. But uh, see, well, Mentor's not a Catholic school, but I don't think he goes to Mentor High School. Or maybe I'm wrong. Or maybe he does, and he's just Catholic. I know, I know it was the Catholic connection. Yeah, I do know that. <laughs> But regardless, I, he's just – he's like one of those names where he's always been part of good staffs. He brings in a solid plan. He's a solid developer. But, yeah, you're right. I, I just don't know much about Notre Dame defensive linemen. And it's because I just don't follow Notre Dame that closely. But I don't think anyone outside – like, you know, like we're gassing up our hires at Ohio State. Michigan's gassing up their hires. But I feel from like a national media perspective, I've seen a lot of positive – response to Mike Elston. And I have two, and that's why I was wondering. Like, maybe he's one of those guys that's just nice to the media or something. And I, I, I have some very strong opinions, so I want to be clear. I'm not saying he's a bad coach. I know nothing about him. I was just confused when I saw his name, and everyone was like, yay, great hire, great hire. And then I was like, but, like, I, I don't know anything about him yeah, or it, Notre Dame's it, defensive line, and I actually watched them. It's so. a little interesting because he's also the recruiting coordinator, so I, I don't know how much of an impact because I know a lot of people said Marcus Freeman was like the guy who led the charge on a lot of defensive recruiting. So, and he did. So I, it gets a, it gets a little convoluted there. So uh, it, it's just interesting. He's a good name, uh, but yeah. So I think the major points we need to talk about here: new defensive coordinator. And then the offensive coordinator promotions and everything else. We already talked about Jim Harbaugh. If you guys want to go listen to us talk about Jim Harbaugh running with his tail between his legs, go listen to last week's episode. <laughs> We're going to talk about the coordinators here. So let's start with the uh, – you want to start offense or defense? Do you want to talk about Gaddis and leaving first, or do we want to go with Minter? Let, let's go with Minter because I think uh, offense is going to be a, a longer conversation. Yeah, we'll go reasons why. We'll take a quick break. Yeah. We'll come back for the offense. Yeah, that, that that's that sounds good. Um Minter's such a bad hire. Yeah, so I I, I really wanted to dig into Minter, all right, because I know everyone jumped to the attachment to Mike McDonald, right? He coached with Mike McDonald, he was on the Baltimore Ravens staff. You know, guess what? Uh I, I think Mike McDonald is a great coach. Me and you sang his praises, honestly, after yeah, they whooped up ISH ass. Honestly. We definitely. were very like Mike McDonald's going to be a either professional coach one day or college head coach one day. It's yep. not a matter of if; it's a matter of when with him. Um, incredible schemer, incredible game planner. Got the most out of two elite pass rushers. Developed defensive backs extremely well last year. Did kind of everything you'd want. Brought in a system where they ran a lot of cover four match, a lot of type cover seven, that type of stuff that really gave 
their defense a lot of ability to do a lot of stuff with their interior six uh, with their linebackers and defensive line. So overall, it was really well put together, well-constructed defense. Tons of credit to Mike mm-hmm. McDonald coming in and instilling that. Bring, yeah, and I mean, so do you want to go into Minter's numbers? Um, because we all know Vanderbilt was awful last year. 129th ranked defense yeah. in the country. Well, the one thing I just want to say about Mike McDonald, the most important thing that he did, and I think it's underrated, is he actually let the defense play. He let the defensive line attack. And the reason why I say this is, again, I'm a coach fan. We just drafted Quiddy Pay from Michigan, and I had no idea he was good because they like they just yeah. played a specific style. Basically, they played a contained rush style. So, like, he was playing essentially in a four four-point stance and just to get really technical really quick you don't get any explosion from a four-point stance like the point of that typically is to just put your hands into someone hold them up read and react and that's what they were doing they were reading and reacting which is why the last couple of years Aiden Hutchinson's a really good player he didn't have high sack numbers like he had this year Quiddy Pay, really good player I mean he won he's on some all defensive teams and stuff like that really good player he's really super fast all this kind of stuff you didn't know that and until he went to the combine until he got to the league because that's not how Michigan played. So just not that we need to just heap praises on Mike McDonald, but one of the the best things he did was realize I have these studs. Let me actually rush the passer. And that was one of my issues with Ohio State last year is I felt that they were doing too much contain and not enough rushing. But I think – I think Minter is like, like. So Minter to me, and I. This is kind of what I wanted to go with. It's like, you know, uh, do you know, like when you talk about clones, you know, the more you clone something, the worse they get. It was like a Rick and Morty episode. So the more you have yep, something, yeah, uh, the worse they get as they continue to do that. And that's kind of what I feel is happening by going to the Ravens staff, getting a coach from your brother, getting a coach from Vanderbilt coming in to try to replicate the exact same thing you were doing. When you try to bring in someone for continuity and not the most talented defensive coordinator you could possibly get. And I know we throw a lot of shade at Michigan as Ohio State fans as because the rivalry, but it is a it's a high-end job. A lot of people would be willing to leave lower power 5 jobs, lower and high G5 jobs, lower G5 jobs who have kind of developed into really good defensive coordinators to come to Michigan right now in February. Yeah, I mean, it's a top 10, top 15 job in the country for sure. My thing is, and I, let me ask you this question. Did Jim Harbaugh get mentor because he wanted continually, con- whatever that word is, he wanted to continue what they were building? Or did he get him because he has absolutely no connections in coaching outside of his brother? Yeah, no, like, I, like, I think that's a point of emphasis you got to look at too. And I, I mean, Jim Harbaugh has been in the – coaching profession for a long time so you expect to have like a, a long rolodex and that's the point yeah i was gonna say like if you're going and consistently getting coaches from the more likable harbaugh brother like that's that's a red flag to me honestly and mentor <laughs> the more like, likable harbaugh brother so that's so mentor he comes from like he wasn't successful at Georgia State. That's a hard place to be successful. So he had one good year where he got the defense up to 65th in the country, which was better than 128th. But 65th in the country, it was ranked in the top five, and I believe the Sun Belt conferences where Georgia State plays. Um, 
that's that's a pretty good jump. But when you have a lot of returners, when you have a lot of players who have been in your system for a long time, you tend to have more success, wouldn't we say, right? Yeah, no, I, I agree 100%. So was that like the players just getting better, getting a year older, getting more experience, just seeing more football, playing faster, or was it a job Minter did developing them? That's a big question because guess what? Michigan, and I, I, I bring this up, and this show is going to be very intertwined to the numbers we started talking about. And there's a reason. I, I kept this in my back pocket. Michigan is 124th in returning defensive production. Mm, it's almost like someone called that, but I, I don't know who. So, but whoever that is, give them credit yeah, for, it, for, it, it's for saying the obvious. Like, what? Two guys went on a rant, and yeah, there were some age discrepancies we didn't, we, we, we failed on, but, but, they lost a lot of guys and people said we were stupid. Oh, they're replacing it. They're reloading. Well, you know, as Ohio state fans using that argument finally caught up to us in 2021. So eventually, you know, and Jim Harbaugh has not shown he's been great at reloading immediately. So Minter's coming in. He's never shown the ability to truly build a defense. Yes, he knows Mike McDonald. Yes, he was on that Ravens staff. But that's the thing. How often does lightning strike in the same place twice? It doesn't very often. That's what gets you Kerry Combs as a defense coordinator. You get a guy who's probably underqualified for a job. And he has connections, and you want to buy into it, but it's it's just tough for me to buy into this. Yeah, I, it's it re- it very much just looks like he's scrambling, like he thought he was going to the league, it didn't happen, and he called his brother and said, "Hey, I need someone." Um, and this is just an interesting thing, uh, and maybe I'm I'm bringing it up too early because we're not talking about the offense. Matt West, I think it's Matt West. Matt West. There's someone else on this on this staff who came from Harbaugh. Yeah, it was the, wise. The more likable. It was wise. Yeah. yeah. So his last three coordinators, two defensive coordinators and offensive coordinators, are are guys who are on the Ravens staff. And and here, I'm not saying that's entirely a bad thing because the Ravens are good. But like, yeah, I, with the Ravens' offensive staff, I'd buy into some of these hires, but. The defense is because I like Greg Roman, and that's where Matt Weiss learned from. And Greg Roman's yeah. good, but he's okay. They they can't develop a passing game to save their lives. Yeah. And Lamar Jackson has actually gotten better. He has some issues in passing that I brought up, but he's gotten better. But they just refuse to like learn real routes and and like they. It's incredible. They it, it's honestly malpractice on what they do trying to pass the football when you have Mark yeah. Andrews. Uh, the, the one thing that's going to be interesting, though, um, is do these two new players pick? I guess I kind of transition this. Let's go back to the defense. We, we'll get to offense. Yeah. But, yeah, uh, so, you know, we have it in our show notes. We've hinted at it. There's no Aiden Hutchinson. There's, there's no, no David Ojaba. There's no Dax Hill. There's, there's, uh, they've lost... Would you say 112th, 120th? They're 124th in defensive returning production. 124th in defensive returning production. Like, 
So you have a, a totally young defense. There's a couple of guys. There's a couple of young guys. There's one of the safeties or corners or something was a young guy. But yeah, essentially, Junior Colson's good. I, I like Junior Colson, I'll be honest. He's a pretty good player. Yeah. So you lose almost everyone, right? And then you get a new coach who wasn't good before. Michigan could have a potentially could have a major step back. And it wouldn't and, be out of the norm. Unless and maybe and I don't we'll get into offense after, but unless JJ McCarthy can do what CJ Stroud does, they're gonna be in a lot of shootouts, which they're not built for. And I'm not even I'm not even for sure that JJ is gonna start. Yeah, and that's I think that could take us into the break, honestly, because I think that's incredibly that would be coaching malpractice if Cade McNamara is a starter in Michigan next year. I mean, hey, I understand I understand they they got a national championship out of it, but Stetson Bennett's going to be Georgia's uh, starting quarterback, and he's also coaching malpractice, honestly. So. We're going to be back. We're going to keep talking this, and we got a few more conversation topics. They aren't very big ones, but we'll get into them as well. Uh, we'll see you guys on the flip side. Welcome back, everybody. Hope you guys are enjoying the show today. Uh, it's been a fun one. I, I think we've got them a lot. We've, this has actually been a really fun show. We've kind of taken two topics and really expanded on them. Uh, I'm enjoying it. Uh, before the break, uh, I know most people like to skip through that. Don't skip through it. it. It comes to our pockets if you listen to the whole thing more. Uh, but uh, Michigan, uh, their staff hires. So where are we left? No Aiden Hutchinson, no David Ojabo. They're losing um, uh, an older middle linebacker. They're Honestly, they're kind of block O recipient type player in the, what's his name, uh, Josh Ross. Uh, he's their six-year guy. He's the only guy who was actually a six-year guy. Not a, and they're losing another safety who is a six-year guy. So that's a lot of bodies. You've got a lot of leadership out of there. Daxon Hill is a guy who left earlier than a lot of them thought he would, which I'm so happy he's leaving because that just gave us so much. Like We were right, uh, even though we called him a seventh-year senior. But that being said, it's really an uphill battle for the guy taking over. And you, when it's an uphill battle, you you want the guy to be a stud. You want the guy to be Jim Knowles or yeah. any of the like. You want the guy to be Dan Landing, which I don't know if he's going to be a good coach, good head coach, but he was a good he's defensive a coordinator. Team. Like you, you want that guy to take over when you have some young guys, some lack of production, that kind of stuff. You don't want the guy who was at Vanderbilt. Yeah. You want the guy who has not been good, or, or, or at least great at any of the places that they've been, especially. And this is the most important part. They just reached the mountaintop. Yeah. They got a taste of it. You want to get back to that. And, and then you go and then you just make that hire. And it's just like, it, it that's felt, not inspiring. It was for sure a safe hire. It was Jim Harbaugh bringing in a guy he knew would come. He knew he'd tr- he could trust him. He's going to be a good guy. He's, he's a good guy. I, I, I don't think anyone's ever said anything bad about Jesse Minter because no one's really ever talked about Jesse Minter. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's just one of those things. It's just it, like I know, and Mike McDonald had the best opportunity in the world. Like he was handed a Ferrari and he drove it extremely well. Jeff Halfley was handed a Ferrari, he drove it extremely well. And what you do after that elite defensive coordinator leaves after one stop is you try to replicate what he did. 
It doesn't work that way when you have elite players like Hutchinson, when you have elite players like Ojabo. It doesn't work that way when you have Chase Young, Jeff Akuda, Jordan Fuller on your side. Like Jeff Halfley proved it last year at Boston College and proved him immediately he's going to be a good coach. I expect the Ravens defense to be significantly better last year because what he was able to, Mike McDonald was able to do at Michigan. But that is a tall task to replace the guy who came in, changed the philosophy, changed the culture so much. And everyone's like, Jesse Minter didn't run that stuff last year. He didn't run that stuff last year. He ran Clark Leia's cover three, which is very similar. What's the, what's the thing we're always talking about? Ryan day wanted Pete Carroll tree guys. That's Clark Leia. So Jesse Minter was doing that for an entire year as a defensive coordinator. Yeah. I just, it's, it's just, it's just not exciting. It's, it's just, not. And and who's to say, like, who's to say it's not going to work, right? It, it, could it could very well it work. Could. He's, he's a guy, he has experience, and maybe he's added enough tools in his toolbox, coaching with Clark Lay, coaching who, yeah, at Vanderbilt. Clark Lay is going to be there forever because he's a Vanderbilt guy. That doesn't mean they're going to be good or bad, but he was a good coach at Notre Dame. And, you know, like we said, the Ravens, Mike McDonald picked up a lot of tricks there. So maybe mentors picked up some of the same tricks, but being able to apply, being able to teach and then not having the two elite edge rushers who combined for almost 30 sacks last year. It's going to be a tall task. Yeah, um, a very tall task. And I just... I'm just saying, if I was a Michigan fan, I wouldn't be happy about it. I wouldn't it. be happy with that hire. Like, like, I wouldn't be happy about it. And the thing that would make me the most unhappy, and I think this can allow us to trans- transition into offense, the thing that would make me the most unhappy is you don't know why he hired him. Did yeah. he hire him because he thought he was a good coach and he thought it would work? Or did he hire him because he tried to go to the NFL and he didn't get the job and the market was closed and he – he knew his brother was like, hey, this guy will leave Vanderbilt because it's a step up. Not because he's good. Not because he's going to fix the defense. It's just you need a guy, and I know him, and he'll leave. Yeah. yeah. Like, like if, if, if Harbaugh was committed and wouldn't have went to the league, is this his first option? That's a, It's a huge question, and that's I don't and, think it is. I don't think it was. I don't think – and I'm starting to think Jim Harbaugh doesn't have the Rolodex that a lot of coaches do. I'm convinced he doesn't. And I I'm, know – I'm very convinced he doesn't. I know this for sure. Michigan's administration is not willing to open the checkbook the same way for assistance as Ohio State is. Yeah. They're not breaking out $2 million to hire a defense coordinator. No, <laughs> and that's just, that's just honest. That's honest well, truth. There. Speaking of that, that's the perfect transition. We're going to offense. Do you know how much money Josh Gaddis made last year? Uh, I think close to that, like one point eight million, right? <laughs> no, subtract a million. Oh, one, oh my God, he only made eight hundred thousand dollars. It was. I may have heard it wrong. It was either eight hundred or it was nine. He did, he was not in the million club as their offensive coordinator in his third season. That's insane. Yeah, so he really, honestly, wasn't lying in that text message when he said he wasn't valued. Uh, yeah, he made he made nine hundred k in twenty twenty one, and again, that is that is that's substantial good money, and that's to really normal people. But when you're Michigan and you're competing with Ohio State, that's not substantial. No, not at all. Um, 
like it's just like that's that's pennies compared to what you should be at. Yeah, like that's that's the money that Nebraska pays. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, I guess to start the offensive conversation here, the speed in space era with Josh Gaddis is over, and it never really fully got started. I really think um, they went away from that last year and decided like, hey, our identity historically has been a power football team. We have Hassan Haskins. We have Blake Corum. We're going to be a power team. We've got a really experienced, decent offensive line. And um, the two guys taking over, Matt Wise and Sharon Moore, got a ton of credit from Jim Harbaugh, from Josh Gaddis, from everybody involved in making that offense run. So I don't think the step off offensively is going to be as drastic as it is going to be defensively, because I think I, I think Matt Weiss is a good coach, but Sharon Moore, uh, he's going to have his work cut out for him. He lost. Oh, is it their center who left for the uh, for the draft? I think it was a guard. A guard. I think it was a guard. Yeah, they lost their best interior offensive lineman. So and no one thought he was leaving. Yeah, no one. Uh, so that's a big aspect of it. And I, I think Matt Weiss and Sharon Moore, they're solid. So I don't think the Gaddis leaving effect is going to be nearly as big as Mike McDonald leaving. Yeah. Um, th- just the last thing I want to say about Gaddis, because I actually pulled it up. Ohio State has three assistants who made more than him. Yeah, that's insane. Offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, and Larry Johnson. Who? Okay, it's Larry Johnson. I get that, but his technical title is defensive line coach, and so a defensive line coach is making more than you as an offensive coordinator at Michigan. And I know that's a stretch because it's Larry Johnson. He's not a regular defensive line coach. Yeah, I mean, Greg Greg Stoudreau was making seven hundred k, and I understand that two hundred k is a big difference, but it was a, a a decent offensive line coach is making within your range and near the offensive coordinator. Yeah. So yeah, it's just, it's crazy. And you know, I, like I honestly don't mind this kind of promotion from within. Cause I do think Matt Wise and Sharon Moore's fingerprints were all over that offense last year. But Sharon Moore is the, is the offensive line coach, right? Yeah. I mean that like, I, I hope that Justin Fry has the impact that he had. Yeah. Cause they he were like significantly better once he got, there and once he gained more control over what they were doing in the run game. Yep, and the run game and the oh. offensive line, they're very physical. I mean they won the, they won the Joe Moore award. Mike Hart also is still their run game coordinator. So I don't think you're gonna see much fall off in the run game department. I think they're very good at running back. Uh but I think this well, is losing Hassan Haskins. Yeah. So uh, That's Donovan big. Edwards is a but stud, got Edwards but, and Quorum, but they kinda lose the battering ram type guy. Yeah, both of them are yeah. And I don't think they have a big battering ram type on their roster. So yeah. but I think their coaching staff's gonna be fine offensively. I don't think I really have anything like that. But this is something and I think uh, a lot of people kind of forget this, but Josh Gaddis was for sure the leading voice in the game plan creating when it came to that, him and Harbaugh. And he was the guy on game day working with Harbaugh to make the play calls. So uh, he was offensive coordinator. Moore was co-offensive coordinator, offensive line coach. So there is a very obvious pecking order there. And now you've got Matt Wise and Sharon Moore. Uh, you have to divvy up play calling. You have to see who's going to be 
Are you going to divvy this up three ways, passing game, running game, offensive line game planning? How is that going to work? Those are a lot of questions that you need to answer as you get into the season. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure is it, it's wise, you said? Yeah. Why I'm pretty sure he's going to be the play caller because no one wants to give it to the offensive line coach, which should, is a mistake at sometimes. But I'm pretty sure he's going to be the play caller. And I'm I don't know his entire career, but since he was on the Ravens, I'm almost positive he's a first time play caller, which that matters. I mean, Josh Gaddick didn't do what he was supposed to do until this year, but he was like a 30 something year old offensive coordinator, our very high assistant at Alabama. And he was one of the hottest names in the country when he came to Michigan. Um, so, like, he had experience. It wasn't like what it's going to be now. Yeah. you can, Michigan fans will say he underachieved, and that's fine. I'm not here to judge that. But it wasn't giving your offense to someone. Like, it, with he, no experience he the for someone in the, in the Nick Saban school of coaches. Like, yeah. now they're giving it to Matt Weiss. And think about it. Gattis, Gattis was a full-time play caller. And I, what's it, year four was when he finally turned the corner, or year three was yeah. when he finally turned uh, the corner as a play caller? Three, three. So that's kind of the growing pains you have with a first-time play caller. And that's kind of where Ohio State excels is – like should excel is because they have multiple – Longtime play callers in Wilson and Ryan yeah. Day. So and Ryan Day still has some things to learn, and yeah. he still makes some mistakes and gets into grooves. Like play calling is not easy. It, it's a very difficult thing to do, and it's extremely difficult. And that's where it, it's going to be a very interesting dynamic. And coming off a loss, it makes me it like I'm not even playing in the game, but I have so much fuel just in anticipation to get back to that because. You're going to have Jim Knowles, the most mad scientific defensive coordinator I've ever heard speak, going up against two first-time play callers. That's It's a matchup. That's a matchup. It's going to be interesting. Yeah. So, yeah, but the three questions I have, Gaddis leaving effect, big effect, little effect, I don't think it's an effect at all. So I, I, I agree and I disagree because I think the thing that we're not talking about is why Gaddis left. That's I, I true. Think, that, I, do, I do think there's going to be a step back. I'm not sure if we're going to see – if we're going to know if it's Gaddis or not. The only way I think there's not a step back is if J.J. McCarthy is the quarterback and he's very boomer bust and there's no Absolutely. guarantee that he's going to be good. But the thing that we're not talking about is who else on the staff is not happy there. Like it may be too late for anyone else to leave. Maybe, like, I don't know. But if you believe the reports, Josh Gaddis wasn't the only one that was that unhappy, wasn't happy. Yeah. Like, he wasn't the only one that felt, you know, un, not loved, but, like, unloved, underappreciated, uh, you know? So it's like, who else doesn't really want to be there? Like, what is the um, impact of that in the meeting rooms and, and, the, and the combination of everything that happens? So it's like... I do think it has an impact because one, I think he's a solid coach and new play calls, all the things that we just talked about, but also just like, what does that mean? Like, like what if Sharon Moore wants to leave and just can't cause it's too late. Yeah. And he that's, that's like, there's point. a lot of dynamics and stuff into why Gaddis left that I think are going to be very important and how this staff works and how it operates and, um, and different things like that. And so I, I'll add this. I do think Michigan's offense was going to take a step back next year regardless. Yeah. But I do think, you know, 
And continuity is an important thing in college football, regardless of anything. So I think in that regard and the point you bring where he sent a text to a lot of to players, to coaches, like, hey, like, I didn't feel appreciated. I'm taking this job at Miami. Like, that says a lot about where he was at. And Michigan fans are going to point directly to the, like, he was supposed to be the head coach. Like, he, he thought he was going to be the head coach in waiting, and he wasn't. It was going to be Mike Hart. And regardless of what you want to take on, you know, message board rumors on what some of their people are saying, because, you know, this is funny, too. I'm starting to think Michigan's writers and insiders are more biased than Ohio State's. Uh, they, I mean, they're they they're battling for that. Yeah, that's the real that's the real rivalry. Uh, which which writers are more biased? <laughs> and it, it's honestly, it's like I I think we we've continued to try to bring like we've talked about Michigan. And we haven't just been hateful this whole time. So I want to give us some credit there. Uh, but overall, like I, I think it, it's just there's a lot. There's a lot of transition there, and there's a lot of new roles and a lot of new responsibilities, and that's where the impact is. Yeah, 100%. So it's going to be interesting to see. I haven't looked at their schedule because uh, we're just not that at the, that point in the offseason. And we're saying all this stuff, and it's like Michigan may still win 10 games I because think, their schedule is not hard. Minimal, um, I think they're a 10-3 and three team, honestly. I think that's very reasonable for them. And if they're not 10-3, and three, it was a disastrous season because they're schedule. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I haven't looked at it yet, but I believe you. So... This is not this is not how you want to follow up. And I just think as man, Michigan fans delusional. Ohio State fans can be delusional, but like all of the all of the things that they're saying, like like it's almost as bad as Oklahoma fans so, as far as just yeah, like saying Riley like, leaving. Like we're gonna yeah, be fine. Yeah, we're gonna be fine. This coach is better. He wasn't that good anyway. It took like all like I saw someone say like Josh Gaddis wasn't good. It took until uh, he just did Jim Harbaugh's system before he actually had success and all this other kind of stuff. But the thing is like you just got like Michigan is one of the best jobs. Just simply it is. Like you can't lie about that. And he took a downgrade. Maybe not personally. Miami's better than Michigan. He's gonna make more money. But Miami is not the U. He took he went from a program that was at the highest height who should be predicted to challenge in the Big Ten and and make the playoffs. And there's going to be a lot of ESPN people and stuff. We're going to pick them to beat Ohio State again. And he left to go to rebuilding Miami with a coach who could never do it at Oregon. And Oregon was good. Obviously, they beat us. But when did he get Oregon in the playoffs? Yeah, it's it. It really there's a lot of dynamics here, and that's that's the beauty of college football. And I, it's just it's a story that's going to be watched. And uh, I do want to pull it up real quick because I I remember the first three games they played next year are absolutely horrendous. It's so bad, like a bunch of bye games. Oh yeah, like it's it's. It's it's rough. It's rough. I feel bad. While we're playing Notre Dame. Yeah. So uh, it is. uh, Yeah, here it is. It's coming up. So they've got the Colorado State Rams first. And it gets worse from there. Think about that. I just pulled it up, too. I just pulled it up. I'm looking at it. The Hawaii Rainbow Warriors, who literally had a state Senate hearing on how bad their coach was treating their players. They had like 24 guys in the transfer portal in absurd amount, September 10th. And then they have the Yukon Huskies. 
UConn, the 130th ranked of 130 teams in college football, UConn. They don't – oh, my God. They don't even have the tough crossover games. They have Iowa, but I'm not I'm not believing in Iowa. Stuff, and they have that's Nebraska your, and Illinois. If Are that's your first – if that's your first tough game at Kinnick Stadium, that that's tough. Okay. That's yeah, tough. they're gonna lose that one. They're gonna lose that one. Then and they, then they have, but then they have Nebraska and I in Illinois. Yeah. Which honestly, like, let me stop lying. Let me let me stop lying. They're they're probably gonna, they might lose to Illinois. I'm actually just waiting until we get into our tears for next season. I'm game, actually gonna be, honestly. Yeah, Illinois, it's right. right before it's, it's right State. after Nebraska, which is gonna be a tough game. Because they're whatever. Talks uh, coming. They, they, Illinois. Got, they do get Michigan State off the bye week, so that's good for them. But yeah, it's but playing Illinois right before Ohio State. That's a mm, mm-hmm. that's yeah. interesting. Yeah. So yeah, and you know, Penn State could be interesting next year. You never know. Seventh year Sean Clifford, maybe he's got a ceiling we <laughs> yet. But he doesn't. Yeah. Eight and four. <laughs> but yeah, their first, their first, uh, their first seven games outside of Iowa, six of those seven. It's a joke. Maryland could be interesting next year. Uh, you know, I'm just talking myself into stuff because it's February. Yeah, we're we're, we're going to wait on that. We're, yeah. we'll, we'll 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 come back to that a little bit later. Right. But yeah, I, I think. I think Michigan is in a precarious position. Precarious and is a great word for that. Yeah, I can tell. That's the higher education lingo we've been needing right there. <laughs> you know, I, I had to just pull that out the bag somewhere. Let, let's 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 get to our guy, Fry. The Fry, yeah. Our guy, Fry. Cooking All fries, right. French fries. <laughs> uh, this is awesome, man. This is great. If, so, this, is a, this is a really stupid question. If fry was a fry, what kind of fry would he be? Because fries oh, are – there are some I, fries that are more superior. Are you a waffle fry kind of guy? Are, I, is yeah, it a curry fry? I'm a classic fast food, like, cut fry. But if not, like, if I'm going to the grocery store, which I'm going to be after this show gets done recording, uh, to get a late dinner because I have no food in my fridge, um, I am going to get the crinkle cut fries. That's my go-to. Okay, so I think I think I think Stud I think Stud was uh, Wendy's fries. Stud was sometimes they sometimes they hit sometimes they're good. Food, Uh, it's for sure. I'm a McDonald's fry guy. Yeah, I think Fry is McDonald's. I think Fry is McDonald's. Stud was Wendy's. Sometimes you get them and they're perfect and they're fresh. It's the right amount of salt. They're they're spectacular. Sometimes you get them and it's like chewing gum. You know, sometimes you dip them in that vanilla frosty. I'm outing myself a vanilla frosty and you get that five star. And then other times you get them and you just don't even eat them. Yeah, you you take a couple bites. You're like, I didn't know fries could be bad. (laughs) Yeah, so Fry fry is McDonald's. He's McDonald's fry. Yeah, and and the reason we're saying that is he's a McDonald's friend because Ohio State was actually trending very negatively with this recruitment. Luke Montgomery. Uh, I didn't know he was so good. I looked him up. He's like the fourth or fifth tackle, yeah. 60th in the country or something. Like He's a stud. I did not, I did not realize Probably that. Probably an in-state Ohio guy. This was honestly when I was like – when I saw them, him trending away from Ohio State towards Notre Dame and Michigan, I was like, we need to get this fucking guy out. Oh, I swore pretty yeah. hard there. But that's how passionate <laughs> I was about it. I'm going to bleep that one out. Uh, no, you got to leave that one out. We cut like we, once every three months. That, that this one's, one's getting an explicit <laughs> rating. Uh, but but uh, it, it was it, – it, it truly lit me up. And so much so I said the F word on a family-friendly podcast. Uh, Luke Montgomery – 
was trending towards our most hated rival and our most hated rival as a fan, Notre Dame. Uh, like that was that was a sin, man. Finley is yeah. should be a feeder to Ohio State. And, and, and he should he should already be committed. Yeah. I mean, he's committing soon, but he should have been committed a year or two ago. And, and just really quick before we get back to Luke Montgomery, um, did you see that we didn't even make the top for Caden Proctor? Yeah, which is interesting. Uh, which means I, I think Stud was probably doing a solid job there, but there he's not. He's not. He's going to Iowa. He's going to Iowa. Yeah, but we didn't even make the top. Michigan yeah. and Penn State are in his top, and we're not. Yeah. It's like a top seven. So, yeah, we needed Fry. <laughs> I, maybe Fry can get in, get into Caden Proctor's ear before he, he commits. But Luke is, is a major gate. Um, Huge. And he's got a brother, and I believe his brother went to Notre Dame, correct? Luke's brother? Yeah. I, th- ooh, I think so. I don't think his brother's a tackle, though. I think his brother maybe like a tight end or something. Yeah. Brother, let's just look it up. I'll edit this real quick. Ryan Montgomery, yes. Uh, Finley, Ohio, versatile. What is he younger? Actually, uh, I don't know. It's 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 a lost cause for me here. So yeah, you lock in Luke, and that that's what a lot of people have been saying is if you get one, you get the other. Uh, both were trending towards Notre Dame. Uh, now Luke is. And I, I, I hate jumping the gun on this because I've done it like five times and I'm a recruiting expert when I'm right. But I'm as good as locking this in as a 99% chance he commits to Ohio State next week. Uh, inside information uh, from a friend of the show who's part of Land Grant Holy Land, Mr. Doss. Uh, thank you for that information. We'll shout him out. But yeah, this is huge. This is an unbelievable recruitment. But the Fry guy, come on. We got to get to Fry. Uh, Luke Montgomery. So his impact is huge. You land the in-state elite offensive lineman early. That means you get to go out and recruit. That means you get to go recruit Florida. You get to go recruit Texas. You get to go recruit California and get one of their elite offensive linemen once you get this guy locked in. And everybody was worried about Fry and recruiting, and I think this happening so early is a very, you know – it's a it's an upward sign, and it's an uphill battle, right? We've been very high on Fry, and, you know, he has a lot to prove. We're not saying he's – I know I already called him McDonald's, but he could be still McDonald's fries, which are still better than Wendy's. Like, we're not sure if he's the fresh, freshly yeah. salted McDonald's fry yet. Um, but – he still has some room to prove it, but him being so new to the job, killing the interviews, killing the relationships, keeping, you know, keeping um, Carson Hensman and um, um, George Fitzpatrick, which whatever, however you feel about them, they both could have left because they were not signed. Yeah. So he absolutely. recruited them at this point. If he gets, um, if he gets Luke, he's three for three in recruiting right now because Carson Hensman could have easily been like, oh, new coach. I'm going yeah, to come Wisconsin. And that would have been so easy. And Wisconsin would have been like, thanks. Thanks for staying home. We appreciate you. You know, so he closed that recruitment. And that's kind of like, you know, like when you have a guy who's at a company and he does 90 percent of the sales pitch and you get you just get to close the deal because that guy left. But regardless, it's still important. It's important. You got to close deals. Fry immediately showed he can close. And then secondarily, we're going to see him close again here. And that's. That's a huge, momentous start. And, you know, a lot of people, like UCLA only had three-star offensive linemen, and he got the most out of them. And he's going to have a high draft pick 
with his UCLA offensive lineman this coming draft. And now he's really going to prove it recruiting before he even gets to show what he's known for, which is the X's yeah. and O's. Yeah, so, I, I mean, I'm high on Fry, and I think Luke is a great kid. Um Man's a stud. Man's a stud. I, I like I said. I did not know he was so highly. Like he's number sixty, and he could. You know, he hit the camp circuit. He gets a little bit faster, stronger, whatever. A bit bigger. He could very, very easily rise and get that five star. Um, not for promotion purposes, but I, just because I was really curious. I was looking at on three and how they determine and stuff. And I think at this point in the cycle, they only have two five stars. Like they they come to their five stars late. Um, we, we know uh, two four seven just did their final rankings like a couple of days ago, a week or so two ago. There's a lot of updates that are going to happen. Um, senior year camp circuit. He's already very high, so Absolutely. I mean he could end up becoming a, a five star. So, um, great get. Uh, we're assuming, we're predicting. We believe it's Ohio State. If I had a crystal um, ball prediction, it'd be like a ten. Honestly, I'm that yeah. high on it. So, um, great early get. Now it's time to go fill it out. We need like three tackles in this class. Yeah, it's gonna. It needs to be a big tackle class, and I, yeah. I think this is kind of one where you could go with the. You need to get two elite ones and two long term athletic projects, like really athletic big guys, because you want to have that stability long term, which we lost here. Yeah. So if you get four. Even if you get three elite tackles or two elite ones and four really, really good ones who can become elite, that's that would be Chef's kiss from Fry. It was yeah. his first batch. This is going to be a, a, a very important class for sure. Yeah. Uh, with that, uh, let's move on. I think this is big. This is, represents half of Ohio, honestly. Uh, the Super Bowl is Sunday, and it would be criminal if two football guys didn't get in a conversation about the Super Bowl. Come on now. Yeah, we're going to talk about the Super Bowl. Uh, there is an Ohio State connection. We can go through the list here. Joe Burrow, we're not going to do the debate here. Joe Burrow is a Buckeye on the show. It's an Ohio State podcast. He's a Buckeye here. Uh, he also graduated from Ohio State. So two for two on he's a Buckeye. Uh, Have you read the Joe Burrows the the uh, the Joe Burrow Bengals feature? I have on not. The I've been saving it's, that for my cool down during the day. It's one of the best. Like, like I was just like this. Like you hear a lot of stories, and Bruce Feldman had a great one because uh, he was writing the meat market book or whatever, and he talks about the fight and all this other kind of stuff. But this story talks about it. It, talk, it basically talks about Joe Burrow everywhere, like how he affected Athens, Columbus, it's Louisiana, insane. and Cincinnati. And like, there's like fans. It's ridiculous. It's one of there's, the best articles I've read in a long time. You got to read that. Yeah, and like Joe Burrow. So like, I, I think a lot of people like you know you see football stars and like. I think one of the common things is people bringing up old tweets of like modern, like newly successful people. And there's some questionable ones with a lot of them. Uh, Joe Burrow doesn't have a single one. Uh, when Joe Burrow gave his Heisman speech, and this is incredible, just build on that. It was not, and he didn't say a single thing about himself, except that he was happy to be there. It was about other people. It was about his family. It was about his coaches. It was about his teammates. And then he went on, a minute and a half tangent about food insecurity in Southeast Ohio. And it just was like, it it sparked an incredible human story where millions of dollars went into one of the poorest, most food insecure communities 
in the country. Yeah. And that that is who Joe Burrow is. And that's why he's been so endearing. I think one food bank got over 600,000 or more like they may have stopped counting. But one thing, because that's in the story, they made so much money that they were able to create a fund. They, they put like $350,000 in there and someone, whoever the fund was with, they matched it. So that fund had $700,000, which means essentially they're always going to have money. Like it's like a like this is like random higher education thing. Sorry for the ram- for the um, sorry for rambling, but scholarships work in a sense where you put X number of money into a scholarship and they essentially like put it not into like the stock market, but they put it into something that creates interest. So that's how you can always fund the same scholarship. That's how someone 20 years ago can have the same scholarship that you have if you're in college right now. So that's essentially what they did at the food bank. They created a scholarship fund, put this 350, got matched 350, that's $700 for food. And this food bank is essentially going to have food forever because of that. They literally said, before Joe Burrow, they were on a, if we run out, we run out. They're relying on donations. So sometimes they'd run out of food on Wednesday or on Thursday. Now, because of these donations, it's give everyone what they need. If we run out of food, we'll just go buy some. Just not even just waiting on donations. We'll just go and we'll pack some more. We have it. That's life changing. Yeah, it's incredible. Like, it changes a whole community. And like, that's just what he's done. And unfortunately, he didn't get to be the starting quarterback at Ohio State, which he grew up dreaming about. But he went to LSU. He changed the entire culture there for a year. Or it's like, dude, I, I'll give him credit for the two. Uh, yeah. He, he changed the culture at LSU, you know, from being like a team that was complacent with just being a talented team. He's like, no, we're going to be great every single day. And he credits Ohio State for learning that. So, uh, but on top of that, he gets to Cincinnati, and everyone knows the Bengals, the cheapest team in the NFL. They literally have a mic cart that is just a metal garage piece that they move around and put mics on for press stuff. Like Mike Brown is the cheapest owner in the NFL, and it happens with generational, like when you pass it down, and that's where the family's wealth has come from. But Mike Brown put his trust into Joe Burrow, a local Southern Ohio kid, and Joe Burrow did the exact same thing. Everything he touches gets better. Yeah, essentially, and that's nuts. And it's just because his personality is one of those that, like, I don't think anyone in the world could hate Joe Burrow. If you do, it's like some weird, like, jealousy yeah, thing or you're, something. Like, I'm a Browns fan, and I have rooted for the Bengals every single week they've been in the playoffs because I'm just like, I just can't root against this guy. Uh, Eli Apple is there. Sam Hubbard's there. Von Bell's there. Isaiah Prince is there. Jordan Fuller represents the Rams, even though he's hurt. It's a great it, – it's a group of different stories, and I think Joe yeah. Burrow is going to get the most attention uh, for obvious reasons. I think he deserves it, man, like – Towards ACL comeback player of the year. No one, no, no one predicted this. No one predicted no. the Bengals getting to the playoffs. No one predicted them finishing anywhere better than fourth in the AFC North. It starts yeah, with Joe not, not at all. And I just want to give Sam Hubbard a shout out because this is not something yeah. I would have known. Maybe Bengals fans know this, but 
So um, I was listening to a podcast and the Bengals beat writer was on and they were essentially saying that Sam Hubbard is the Joe Burrow of the defense. Like he's not the most flashy player, that kind of stuff, but like he is like the emotional leader of the defense. And basically the Bengals are are building around Joe Burrow and Sam Hubbard. Like that is who they've determined is their culture. Um, Joe Burrow and Sam Hubbard, obviously Buckeyes, were like best friends. And so like they hung out even when he was at LSU and stuff like that, came to the Bengals. And so like that's like an underrated thing that people don't really Absolutely. talk about because he's not the most – I mean like I, you wouldn't know that unless you're a Bengals fan or you listen to a Bengals podcast randomly today because they're in the Super Bowl. But – I wanted to give Sam Hubbard some shine, too, because he's not the most flashy guy. He wasn't even the most flashy guy at Ohio State. I mean, half the time they talked about Sam Hubbard, it was them retelling the story of how he was uh, supposed to play lacrosse. Yeah. But those two Buckeyes, and they are Buckeyes, have helped change the face of the Bengals. And Von Bell is one of the most important pieces on their defense. Um, yeah. Because he allows them to do some things that they couldn't do before, and, and he was and he was a free agent, I believe, him. that they picked up this off season. Uh, he he got there last year, uh, so this is his second year. Yeah, this is his second season. Eli Apple okay. got there this year. What it's crazy. Yeah. Ron Bell, Eli Apple, they had both been around the league, had been up and down players, um, you know, just inconsistent, and they found a place. And this is this is kind of where it gets interesting. And we're we're not going to probably we're probably not going to talk about the Rams very much because there's just not a lot of connections there. But like they this it's like you take all these misfits from around the league, and this is kind of what like LSU had like guys like Jamar Chase and so on and so forth. But they were not a championship level team. You get these, you get Burrow, you get uh, their coach Zach Taylor. These guys they just are so in the belief of connecting with people. The teammate, the teammate aspect of it. It, I, the NFL is so business oriented. It kind of this feels like a college football team. You know, you've got a bunch of different pieces, but every single player on the team enjoys being a Bengal. And it's weird saying that um, because it's Cincinnati Bengals, but yeah, it's it's just they built something there internally that just is unmatched. And that's like when you start seeing teams of destinies when you go down twenty to three. That's where it's like, what is this roster made of? How are they going to stay together? And it starts with everything all these players have been through, and it, it makes an incredible story. It really does, and so I don't. I'm I'm really struggling on who I want to win the Super Bowl because as much as I, I'm leaning towards the Bengals because they're an Ohio team and they have a bunch of Buckeyes, but like there are so many people on the Rams who I want to win a ring. I mean, I think it's important for Aaron Donald as the best defensive player of our generation to get a ring. I think it's important for Jalen Ramsey as the best corner of our generation to get a ring. Odell getting a ring would be great. Uh, Jordan, Jordan Fuller getting a ring. Like, so this is like the first, I think I've, I don't even know if I said this on the show, but I've said it before. This is the first Super Bowl in a long time. I don't have anyone to root for or against. Yeah. I mean, like, like, you, you're going to root against Matthew Stafford getting a ring? The man suffered in Detroit forever. Yeah. Like, I don't have a bad thing to say about Matthew Stafford. So, this is a time I don't know who I'm rooting for. I, I'm just going to enjoy football this Sunday. And yeah. it's like, like, I don't have Tom Brady to root against. I don't have the Chiefs to root against. Like, it's the opposite of 
the Buccaneers versus the Chiefs. Honestly, where I didn't want oh, either team was, to win. That was so bad. It's like, like really, I, like, I'm not excited about anything. <laughs> like it's very rare you get a Super Bowl where both teams. Like I know a lot of Browns fans. I, I'm a Browns fan, and I just like I like I've separated myself from like the cultish like behavior of some of these Cleveland fans, but. It's just – it's interesting. It's going to be an incredible football game. I think you've got two teams that are honestly – like the Rams have traded everything to build this roster. Bengals have built everything through free agency in the draft. Um, it's incre- It's interesting, man. It's going to be a battle of two types. You've got a team of destiny versus a team that's just been constructed to be a dominant offensive force. And they've just invested so much in veterans on the defensive side of the ball to like catapult their window. And yeah, and it, really a team that like they have to win. They have like to the Rams have to win. They did all that stuff. Got there in 2018. Didn't they had all of these good teams. It took them four years to get back because nothing's guaranteed. They have no first round picks. Like if I still don't think it's the best strategy in the world. But if, if they, they win a Super Bowl and without trading all their first round picks, whenever it implodes, whenever they retire and them not having first round picks or young guys finally catches up to them, it'll probably be worth it. Yeah. But if they don't win a Super Bowl doing this, it's like, going to be a do long road. Yeah, absolutely. Because so, they're going to hit the bottom of the bottom eventually. Um, so it's just like they have to win. And then it's just freaking Joe Burrow. Like, like he has a chance to be a freaking legend. Yeah. Heisman, college football national champion, and a Super Bowl, uh, Super Bowl winner in three years. Yeah, it's in, it's insane. I, 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 I don't even know. Like, I keep telling my friends I'm going to put my wager in for this game, and I just, I, I just can't decide on it. Do I vote? With the heart, the team of destiny stuff, do I vote with, like, my logical brain's telling me there's, like, no way the Rams are going to lose this game. But I've said that every week for the Bengals, and they just keep proving me wrong. So it's like, where are you going to put your money? I don't know. So predictions, let's get it out of the way here. And then we got a few quick hits to close the show out. Who do you have? What's the score you've got? I I don't have a prediction. I'm going to go oh, I'm going to go 27-21 Rams. No, the kicker's going to hit a field goal. 27-24 Rams. I think um I think it's a good game. Um or 27-20. 27-20 Rams. I think it's a good game, but I think Aaron Donald forces a couple field goals. Some sacks, some something, and some drives. They get some kicks uh, where the Rams just get a, another touchdown. Um, I think – I'm sorry, Browns fans, but Odell Beckham is definitely going to be the uh, the reason that they win. Not saying he's going to win MVP, but – He's going to make a big play. He, he's made – I mean, he has, I think, seven touchdowns in nine games or something like that. He has he's going to make a the legendary moment to extend his career like the one-handed catch you know like it just gave him so much marketability he needs to he needs to make he's gonna make a play in the super bowl that extends that marketability another five years 
I don't even know if it's going to extend the marketability. He's just going to be reliable, which is what you know people have tried to say that he's not. I, I don't think yeah. I don't think he's a one anymore. I think he's a one B or a two. I think he's but a he's definitive charge. Like yeah, he's a supercharged two, and I think he's going to just be consistent. He's going to yeah. be consistent, and he's going to make a play that that wins the game. So I am also going to pick the Rams. I, I think it's going to be like thirty-one. Uh, I, I yeah, you need to throw the kicker in there for the. 31 to 20. That's what I'll okay. say. Uh, I'm doing this because I've been very bad with my NFL predictions this year. So I'm either going to be right and the Rams are going to win, or I'm going to jinx the Rams and the Bengals are going to win. And either way, I'm going to be excited. But I do think when you look at Cooper Cup, when you look at Odell Beckham Jr., if the Rams get established a running game early and they stick to it, they'll be able to utilize play action and create some big plays for their receivers. Um, that offensive line for the Bengals, uh, unless they kind of have some level of miracle on ice type performance where they just everything goes their way, uh, I don't know, man. I just don't see a way they could slow down Aaron Donald, Von Miller, and that group of people. I can't see it. I, I can't. I agree. I agree. I mean, I just think this is one of the things where, like, the Bengals story is amazing, but I do think this is. Not entirely the Monstars, but because, but I think this is the time when that talent. I mean, you had Jalen Ramsey and and, and Aaron yeah. Donald. Yeah, you know, I don't think they lose another one. They, Jamar they were Chase, close. talented. T Higgins, talented. I think they are so good in so many places. But when you look at that offensive line, it is the biggest glaring weakness on their roster versus the biggest strength on the Rams roster. And that makes all the difference. It does. And you could you could game plan against it as much as you want with screens to mix in with quick passes, but you just can't do that sustained for four quarters. You're going to have to throw downfield at some point. Yep. All right. So and when you do that, you're going to get Aaron Donald. So. Yeah, yeah, it's not great. Uh, so, yeah, Rams, Rams. Uh, sucks. I hate to do that to all our Ohio fans. As a Browns fan, I don't hate it that much, but – I do hate to do it, but true. Ohio State opened a turf contest. Final thoughts here. Two final thoughts. Things here. Um, Ohio State turf contest. Uh, they went with chalk. I really like the field. Honestly, I think it's safe, but I really do enjoy it. I, I get the Ohio field. Uh, oh, the state outline being behind the blocko would have been nice, but I, I have no complaints about what they did with the field. Honestly. Yeah, I feel the same exact way. And my question that I had for everybody was, um, did you care about the field before they asked you about it? Right. Like, I've never heard anyone complain about the field. Like, outside of, um, outside of like, this field, it looks trash and the players are falling and obviously it needs to be replaced. I've never heard someone say like, Oh, I don't like the design of the field. I've also never heard someone say that they like the design of a field, except for Boise States. Like I've never looked at a field and be like, Oh, that's sexy. Like that is a a beautifully designed field. So they added some things to it. I think it's fine. Yeah. I think, uh, Changing the info, end zones, adding the stripes, uh, the font. They just went with the modern font they put on all the clothes Ohio State has. Like, that shock people that they change it from the round font to, like, the font they put on everything. Like, yeah, you know what happens when you leave it up to professional designers? You're going to use all the, like, 
it's it's like the oldest term in fashion. Keep it simple. You know, it's like simple simplicity lives, and that's what they did. Yeah, and honestly, like here's the thing: the field is actually like like it's not beautiful, right? It's not the best thing I've ever seen in my life, but it's actually cool. Like yeah, they put like modern. the gray, the gray. That's a nice touch. Put in the buckeye leaves. That's a nice, nice touch. touch. I, the helmets, the helmet thing. I could care less about. Like I would, you could lose that for me if you put the Ohio, and I'm fine. Yeah. But like those are like minor things. It's I'm not saying yeah. it's the prettiest field in the world or something. Like I, I can't remember. I can't remember who said it. I wish I could give them credit, but someone. I was just reading through comments from some of the guys who have either covered Ohio State or not. And one of them's like, yeah, when you let people design the field and they start throwing Punisher logos in the middle and making the field black, did you really think Ohio State was going to do that? It's like, no, they weren't going to do anything outlandish. They were putting out feeders to see what was kind of like the qualities that everyone was interested in. And they had professionals put them together the best way possible because that's yeah. what billion-dollar companies do. Do you think Windows is going to have – or Microsoft's going to have a design contest and like – really let that dictate what they're going to look like for the next 20 years. No, but also the, the, the thing that to remember is, and I, I this is, um, this wasn't actually for the field. This was for engagement. Yeah. hundred percent on that front. Killed it. Killed I mean, it. people talked about the field for days. And like some of it we, was, some of them were fun designs. It's just, they were never, yeah. they were never going to be made. Yeah, but it was about engagement. It was, it was getting some clicks. It was get, getting some clicks on we their Twitter. About it on our show. Some new, yeah, getting some new followers, getting some media people to talk about it. Stories. I mean, we're still talking about it. Like it did its job 100%. as far as what the contest was actually for. Yeah, and I think I, I'm happy with the design. I think it's. I think it'll grow on people. I think people are just a little mad that they're. Uh, Entries weren't taken seriously, and that's yeah. fine. If Ohio State would have revealed this without the contest, people would love it. Yeah, absolutely. No one would complain about it at all. But they made a contest, in quotes, air quotes. Uh, final thoughts, $7 spring game, too much for a spring game. Oh, God. How dare you? How dare you charge $7 to operate the stadium's electricity? <laughs> yeah, I've, I've never I've never been to a spring game, so I think I'm going to go this year. I am going to go. We should, uh, we'll... Buck off will be at the spring game. If yeah, not we'll one of us, to... if not both of us, one of us will be there. Yeah, well, maybe we, maybe we can do a special edition podcast right after or something. Live, live show, yeah. yeah. Well, it's not a live show. I don't, I don't know about that one. Live studio audience. <laughs> oh, is that yeah. filmed in front of a live? Like same thing, but a little different. <laughs> um, but yeah, seven dollars for a spring game. It is the most outlandish thing to be mad about. Yes, a hundred percent. I have a, a a random final thought. Uh, I, I, I was scrolling through Twitter as we were recording to see if anything cool came up. Did you go to Twitter and, and just just pick a recruit? Ohio State's media team's killing it right now. They just created these new graphics, and I know they just did it because they're all retweet. Uh, they're all posting it where it's like some of the pictures that the recruits took in Ohio State stuff, and like it's like a little video, and then it's like it has like follow me. And it puts like their social media handle and stuff like that. So just like you know, Ohio State's big on getting their their recruits interactions up. Not all, not all these guys are going to go to Ohio State, but it's like it's trying to get Buckeye fans to follow them. And then obviously, if they do go to Ohio State, it's going to make them more profitable because they have more followers. And so, 
I don't know if Ohio State's the first to, to do it. If they are, they definitely won't be the last. But yeah, it just randomly dropped today. A bunch of I saw a bunch of recruits doing it, and I'm like, yeah, Ohio State's media team is killing it. Like they're they're doing it, and I think it's interesting that they're doing it for recruits because obviously some of them may not commit here. But yeah, I saw Brandon Ennis. I saw some other some other top people. So yeah, uh, yeah I mean, that's just my thought. The media team flipped it around. They're finally getting back to some cool stuff. They they struggled for a little bit so um yeah no, that's pretty sweet graphic i'm seeing it now yeah no i, I think you can't really complain about that good job on their part yeah and, and i hope the media team continues to do some cool stuff because yeah. we're the we're the sickos that actually care about it and i spent like 10 minutes talking about it on one of the shows towards the end of the season because yeah. it was like really bad for most of the season and then they they hired somebody new and it, it, they stepped up they had us in the first half <laughs> Not gonna lie, uh, but that I think that's it for us today. Uh, it was a great show. We got to talk about our rival, enemy of an enemy is an enemy, uh, and an enemy. Uh, but the show concludes. Thank you guys for coming. Um, the turf designs were incredible, but none of them were really applicable. Some of them were pretty good actually. Uh, and Ohio State is going to win the national championship next year, and that's what that's my final words. In February, on February 10th. You heard it here first. Go Bucks.